This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Hear God's word from Revelation 8, 1 through 5. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel with a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given a great quantity of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar that is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God, from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we ask that you would send your spirit to bring your word Um, your, your good news, the news of Jesus Christ broken into this world, reigning on high, and the Jesus who promises to come again, bringing the fullness of your kingdom into this earth and into our life. So we pray that your word would speak to the depths of who we are and call out our deepest longings and laments during this season before you, even as I preach, Lord, send your spirit to open up our hearts to you so that you may bring your healing and justice and goodness into our lives in this world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many many of you here are dissatisfied with our world right now? So many, there's so many instances throughout our days right now where we feel the weight of just that things aren't right in our world. Things are out of sorts. And sometimes it's the, it can be the littlest of trigger, almost a trivial thing that can, that can trigger just this deep sadness uh, and a sense of incompleteness about how things are in our world. This, um, this last... Sorry, let me get my mic here so I'm not fiddling with it the whole time. All right, there we go. Um, this last spring, I turned in the, the final draft of my dissertation for my PhD. And throughout the process of, I, I had to turn in a chapter of my first draft for each chapter every month or two to my advisor. And every time I would turn in a chapter, My family, my wife, and my daughters and I, we'd go out for ice cream at our favorite ice cream place in Beverly, celebrating that this was kind of a family achievement. Um, And on the menu at this ice cream shop is a thing called the pig's trough. And the pig's trough is this giant sundae with like 15 or 20 scoops of ice cream, all kinds of toppings. And we've been looking at this thing for like the last 10 years since we've lived here in New England. And we decided that once in our life as a family, when I would turn in the final full draft of my dissertation, we were going to get the pig's trough together. 
And so, and this was in the middle of April when all of this, when all of this happened. And, and, a, and a week before, I was checking online, and I found out that the ice cream shop had closed down. And I was so mad. I was so angry. And it, it, it wasn't just about the ice cream, obviously. Just this kind of flood of all the things that were going on in our world, the the shutdown businesses, the inconvenience plans, my canceled graduation, the economic devastation, the illness, the death, all those things kind of came crushing in on me just when I saw that the ice cream shop was closed. And all of us throughout each day were navigating these triggers and what seem like trivial matters are connected to all of our dissatisfaction and feeling out of joint and disjointed with the way that our world is. And we're caught, many of us, in this cycle of lament that goes over and over again, and it's hard for us to come up for a breath sometimes. We're caught in this cycle of lament, and the question is, what do we do with those laments? Where do we go with those laments? What do we do with those laments? What do we do with those longings that we have for the world, our world today, to be different? Where do we go? Part of what this passage in Revelation is calling us to do is that we bring our laments very simply before God in prayer. We, we bring our laments and our longings before God in prayer. And not only that, but this passage is also telling us that we bring our laments and longings before God in prayer, but that through bringing those laments and longings to God in prayer, God brings his kingdom to this earth. And that's radical. But that's what this passage is talking about, that we bring our laments and longings to God, and as we do that, God's kingdom comes to this earth. God brings his kingdom through the prayers of his people. God brings his good, just righteous rule through Jesus Christ through our lamenting and longing prayers. So God's action in this world, it begins with our prayers of lament. It begins with our prayers of longing and lament. God's bringing his kingdom, God's action begins as we bring those points of pain before God. Now, one of my favorite movies as a kid was A League of Their Own. And if any of you have seen A League of Their Own, it's about this um, women's baseball team that this whole women's league was started during World War II when a lot of the professional men were off at war. Um, and Tom Hanks plays one of the lead characters, the coach. And there's this scene. Jimmy Dugan is the, is the character he plays. And he's this kind of crass, alcoholic coach. Um, and one of the women is coming off the field at the end of an inning, and he starts, he starts berating her for a mistake she made, a bad throw that she made. And as he's doing that, she, she starts to cry. And he has this look of just, he's incensed, he's surprised, and if anybody knows the line, it's, what, what does he say? There's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball. You can hear Tom Hanks saying that. There's no crying in baseball. But there is crying 
in the throne room of God. The ground at God's feet is muddy with the tears of his people. This passage is calling us to come with our points of pain to the throne room of God. As we look at this passage, right before before chapter 8, there's this swirling scene of God's people, thousands upon thousands of saints worshiping and praising God. The sound of thousands fills the throne room of God in praise and worship. And then here at the beginning of chapter 8, there's silence. There's silence. There's silence as the Lamb, Jesus, is about to open the seal on the seventh scroll. We have all these things that symbolize so much in Revelation, and we have these seven scrolls that have been coming up to this point in Revelation. Later, we'll have seven bowls. These seven scrolls, each scroll represent God kind of opening his, judge, his judgment and his justice and his redemption upon the world. And the Lamb, Jesus, is the only one who's worthy to open that seal. So you think of a seal opening a scroll. So as Jesus is opening that seal of that scroll, there's silence. And then later, what happens? There's, there's judgment and redemption. But between the silence and the action of God is prayer. Between the silence and God's good, righteous action in this world is the prayer of God's people. And and what kind of prayer is happening here in the throne room of God? Well, we get a sense of it from chapter 6, verse 9, when another seal is opened and God's and the saints are are praying to God. We have this short phrase in in, um, verse 10 of chapter 6. Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long will it be before you judge and avenge our blood on the inhabitants of the earth? How long, O Lord? How long? And it's picking up from this language that we get in the Psalms, especially, how long, O Lord? Or in Psalm 57, be merciful, God. It's this sense of this crying out from the saints, how long, O Lord? Be merciful, O Lord. How long will this pandemic last? How long, O Lord? How long do we have to endure the the minor inconveniences of of not getting the the pig's trough ice cream that I wanted, but that's connected to canceled plans and canceled graduations, that's connected to economic devastation where the poor in our world, especially in our country, are getting poor? How long, O Lord, will the illness in death continue how long be merciful o lord this this language from the psalms that all of these laments pick up on gives us this full language to express our pain and our lament before god and i i wonder if one of the things that's happening during this COVID season or one of the opportunities we have is that we have an opportunity for prayer. With all of the uh, kind of limits on action and activity that, that we are given this space for prayer. So 
do you have, and this can even start this week, do you have, do you have someone in your life, not just who you don't talk to, but in your life, who you pray with and who you pray for regularly? Do you have someone who's praying for you in very specific, focused ways? Can maybe even this week, if, if you don't, can you, can you start with, maybe it's a Zoom call or it's a phone call um, or if you, we have a few lingering, decent days of meeting outside. But who's praying for you? Who's praying for your pain? Who is that in your life? And I recognize that this is a season where for, for some of us as families, we feel like we're, maybe we're packed in like a bunch of bulls in a china shop into homes, um, and it's hard to find that space. Or, and I know some of us, it's the opposite of what this season is doing to us. We're isolated, lonely, longing for just even just human touch and companionship. But what we need to do is to bring those pains before God. And one of the ways that we do that, this, this image of, of prayer that we have in Revelation is all the people of God coming together, bringing their laments before God together. And we need to do that with each other. We have to find unique ways during this season to do that because it's not going to give it to us on its own. And one of the things that we do is when we start with our pain and our own laments in prayer, we don't just stop there. Prayer isn't just a sort of inner tinkering or tinkering with our inner life uh, and leaving it at that. If we begin to let the Psalms and the Lord's Prayer inform our prayers, our prayer life, and especially as we pray with one another, these Psalms, what they do is they begin to bring, they begin to open up our hearts into the other laments and pain around us. And we begin to bring those before God together. And there's something freeing when it's not just about us, but we're coming with others before God, pouring out our laments before him. And we also need to remember that as Christians, whenever we pray, Jesus is always interceding for us to God in heaven, as the book of Hebrews reminds us. And so as we go before God, we start from our points of pain, we, we go before God with one another, using the language of Scripture, knowing that Jesus is interceding for us. And Jesus, who knows our laments, he knows our pain, is interceding before God with everyone, present, past, praying to God together, bringing our laments before God. And what this does is this frees us in a way to begin to intercede, not just for ourselves, but we begin to intercede for all of God's people and really bringing the pain of all of humanity before God in prayer. And th this passage is about bringing our laments and our longings before God. But it's not just about that. As we bring our laments and longings before God, what this passage says to us is there's a connection between our prayers of lament and God bringing his justice and his goodness to this earth. Our prayers are tied to God's action on this earth. There's this, there's this sense that, um, that when we pray and we bring our laments before God, that the kingdom of God, the very, this worldly bringing of the reign of Jesus, bringing justice 
and goodness and wholeness and peace to this earth. The kingdom of God, which this promise that at the, at the end of time, in the final coming of Jesus, is going to be brought to its fullness. But that kingdom has already started in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, that that kingdom has already begun and is beginning to work itself out in our world. And the amazing thing about what this passage is telling us is that at the, at the crux of the kingdom coming and the broken, corrupt, sinful systems of this world, at that crux is God's people at prayer. This is, this is prayer on the edge. This is prayer on the edge of God's kingdom in this broken world. So it's the sufferings of God's people and God's action in the world. Prayer is that hinge. It's kind of this passage is pulling the veil back on prayer and seeing where that hinge is. And that, so prayer, lamenting, longing prayer is this amazing kingdom action in the life of God's people. And we see this as we go along in this passage where this angel, he, he takes this censer, and the censer, if you've ever been to a very liturgical service, uh, it's this bowl or container that has incense in it that's burning, hanging down from a chain. And if you've been in a service, they swing it and the incense wafts up. And so in this picture of the throne room of God, you have the incense of the prayers of God's people coming up to God. And, and the angel is holding the censer, letting this incense float up to God. And the angel takes the same censer, and he takes fire from the altar, puts it in the censer, and then he casts it down on the earth in judgment. What do we have? The, picture? the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, in an earthquake. Now that's not what we expect from our prayers. But we have this picture of God bringing his justice, God bringing his kingdom through the lamenting, longing prayers of his people. And, and many of us in one way are uncomfortable with judgment and justice. Um, and rightly so. J judgment is, is in many ways not meant to be a comfortable thing. But at the same time, I also think we all long for justice. And maybe in calmer times we have less a sense of this, but in our own world we have this deep sense that things are not the way they should be. And they're not the way they should be, not just for some random reasons, but because there are corrupt systems and there is evil at work in our world. And all you have to do is kind of catalog all of the sort of B-level action movies to really get a sense that people just have a general sense of longing for justice. Watch any of those B-level action movies and you, how does the movie end? the villain gets justice at the final end. There's a big buildup at the end, and the, and the villain gets justice. In almost any movie, we have this sense at the end. Or if a movie, you get to the end, and justice is not done, we're left with this sense of longing and incompleteness that the world is not as we want it to be. 
So we all long for justice in this world. We all have our villain, whether we're a religious person, a secular person, whether we're on the political left or the political right, we, we have our villain in our minds, and if that person receives even a sliver of justice in this world, we have this deep sense of satisfaction. We all long for justice. We long for this world to be made right. Um, the, and the, the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright has this short, simple phrase about what justice is, and it's the world being put to rights. The world put together as it should be. And we know, we all know in our hearts that to get clean, you need a good washing. For there to be peace, there needs to be justice. At the end of the book of Revelation, we have a, this world, of, this beautiful world that has been healed and restored. Before that, the evil and broken and corrupt systems of this world must receive justice to bring that cleaning and cleansing and healing work about. And that work happens and is connected to our prayers. Our prayers. Now, this, th this type of prayer, this kingdom-focused prayer, is not just about uh, God bringing justice to this earth, but it's also about God bringing justice and renewal into our own lives. It, it's also, it also works on us as well. As we begin to pray these prayers, as we begin to open our hearts up, not just to our individual pains, but open ourselves up to the larger pains and brokenness of this world, as we begin to use the scriptures and the psalms to interact with them and use them in our prayer life, we begin to see, as we, as we begin to call out for God to bring justice and wholeness to this earth, we begin to see that we can also be part of the problem too. Our lives are, are, are also kind of complicit in, 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 in the brokenness of the world that we see around us, and our prayers begin to open our minds up and our eyes up to that reality. The book of Revelation, these visions, it often sets up this stark dichotomy between the, the followers of the Lamb here and the followers of the beast. So it's the stark dichotomy of these two very competing kingdoms. Yet when you go back earlier and John described the churches... In the here and now, it's this much more complicated picture. It's this much more mixed picture where uh, the broken systems of this world and the holiness of God's people are in this complicated mix together. And, and part of the purpose of these stark judgment scenes is also to give a warning to God's people, to give this warning to come out of Babylon, so to speak, to, to come out of these broken uh, power-hungry, manipulative, uh, economically and sexually exploitative structures in the world to come out of those and enter into God's good, righteous, and just kingdom. And so these, these, these stark passages work that way. And so as we begin to bring our laments and our pains before God in prayer, He opens our eyes up to the ways that we're mixed up and the very 
broken systems that we're, we're crying out for change in, and God begins to work in us, moving us from the kingdom of the world into his good, righteous, just, grace-filled kingdom. In, uh, in 2004, uh, the American historian, um, of course I'm forgetting his name as I'm saying this, um, his last name is Chapel, Dr. Chapel. He wrote a book, and it was called it's called uh, it's called Stone of Hope. And the book, and it's important. This this historian, he's not a Christian historian, but he wrote a book about the civil rights movement in the 1950s and 60s. Stephen Chapel is his name. And Stephen Chapel wrote this book, not a Christian historian, wrote this book about the civil rights movement. And one of the main points of his whole book, basically the main point is that the successes of the civil rights movement in the 1950s and 1960s in the American South was primarily fruit of religious revival among the black Christian community in the South. What he goes on to describe in his book is that, um, is that what, what gave this movement so much power was uh, the prayer-filled, worship-filled, uh, worship services, prayer services. Um, it was, it was the, the black church community through a network of hundreds of churches coming together, and that these that the work that we see on the outside, we see these old black and white film clips of police dogs and hoses and bus boycotts. But what Chapel's book takes us behind the scenes in is that almost all of those nonviolent protests started and ended as worship services. They started and ended within black churches filled with the tradition of black spirituals and gospel music and the music that is both filled with lament and longing and music that is filled with hope and calling out for God to bring his justice on this earth. And so Chapel writes very vividly of these, of these services that were mixed with calls for the civil rights movement to go forth and there were physical healings and conversions uh, and these very loud boisterous, joy-filled worship services among networks of hundreds of black churches in the South. And he said that that's what fueled the civil rights movement and its successes in the 1950s and 60s. A community coming before God in lament and longing and hope together. And was the change that happened uh, perfectly holistic and everything was transformed in all the ways that they hoped for? No. But was there this foretaste of God's kingdom that was brought to bear in a very this-worldly way in their experience? There was. And it was fueled at that edge, that hinge of prayer and worship and praise and calling out to God to bring his kingdom. And that equipped them with... Uh, the, the spirit of sacrifice and determination to embody that kingdom into a world where it wasn't present yet. 
God's kingdom comes through the prayers of his people, through prayers, through lamenting and longing prayer. So the question is, where do you go in this season of lament? Where do you go with your laments and your longings? What do you do with those? Where do you go with those? We all have them. We all have them. Do you lash out in pain uh, to your loved ones? Do you, do you try to bear those laments all on your own? Do you shove them down as deep as you can and with that shoving, burying your hopes and your dreams for your life and for this world? The beauty of prayer and the beauty of pouring out very contentious, lamenting and longing prayer is that it's deeply tied, it's tied to our deep dependence upon a God who knows our laments, he knows our longings. And God isn't just some in this distant remote place waiting for us to kind of stir up enough energy. No, God, God has reached out in his son Jesus. Jesus, who at his depth knows our laments and our longings, has felt them in the core of who he is. God is reaching out in Jesus, and Jesus is welcoming us with him into the throne room of God, where with him, with confidence, we can pour out our laments and our longings before a God who hears us and a God who promises to respond. And so we pour out those laments and, and those longings to that, that divine burning love that's at the center of the universe that we hold fast to and hope, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, renew our lives and renew your world, we pray. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we lay before you the pains and brokenness of our world, of our community. Lord, be merciful to us. Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, we lift up all of the prayers of the people in our congregation here, of your people around the world, um, and all of the people that you have created, Lord, we lift those up before you as incense before your throne. We thank you that you hear us. Lord, be gracious and merciful. Act, we pray, in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.